You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this talk by Pastor Terry Riley titled Q&A from the series PT's Favorite Talk. For more info, visit creekside.org. I love this, uh, this picture of this cartoon. I found it in one of my leadership journals uh, this week. Uh, it says, today's sermon, Floyd, it's time to forgive Darla. And then at the bottom, I think Floyd is meeting with the pastor. He goes, you know, at times I felt like you were preaching right at me this morning. And uh, yeah, no kidding. And, and I love when people say, you know, PT, it seemed like you were preaching at me because I think that's when the Spirit is really, uh, that's when the Spirit is working. But this thing about forgiveness, it really is hard. And so many of us can have a tendency to kind of glance it off and just, well, you know, I'm not sure if that's me, but what, you know, and, and we miss that. And I want us to know that I'm, I'm answering all your questions today, so it's kind of more of a teaching thing. And as a new creature, understand that our role as followers of Jesus is to be different. Our call is to take the hard road, to live and do the right thing, not when it's easy or convenient, but all the time. It's to do the right thing, and a lot of times that's going to mean you've got to die to self. Forgiveness is one of those things that is the hardest thing in life to do. Christian, non-Christian. Hebrews 10.20 says this, that because of Jesus Christ and a relationship with him, we have entered into a new and living way. A new way than what most people live, and it's a living way that, that the promise is this, when you do it God's way, it will produce life. 2 Corinthians 5.11-21 through 21, that we spent time on last week we see that we have, because of this new life that we've entered into, we have a new mission. Because we've been reconciled through Jesus Christ and the cross to Father God, now we're called to be reconcilers of people. Not only that we would help reconcile them to Father God through Jesus Christ, but that more importantly, we would, or as importantly, we would make sure that we're reconciling this way, horizontally with the people around us. And, you know, I was thinking, I've never suffered like Jesus, and none of us here have either. And I don't want to minimize the truth and the fact that he's God, and obviously we're not. But we deal with the same actions that he dealt with back then, things like this. You know what? People don't care. Some don't care, and some don't know. But that doesn't change the reality of our call and mission to love people anyway whether they forgive us or live in forgiveness of Christ. I want to share some principles uh, this morning. Uh, Some of the scriptures that I'm going to talk about from these questions, there's going to be a lot of overlap. But hear me, this is is really important so you don't get the, the wrong understanding. When you come to the Bible, the Bible basically generally passages and scriptures have one meaning, one meaning. And it's important to keep them in their context. So when I pull them out of their context sometimes, it's be, I, I, I don't interpret them without that context. I just may not have time to give you the full context. And I'm going to give you... See, scriptures basically means one thing, but there can be variable applications to it. Do you get that? Let me illustrate it. I was golfing recently with a friend. And he hooked his ball over on the other side of these trees. Now, I had the joy of being in the middle of the fairway. 
which doesn't happen too often, but when it does happen, I will tell you about it. So he's, so he's over behind these trees, and I walk over there laughing <laughs> inside. And, um, and so we're, we're, we're looking at it, and I says, okay, bro, this is, you know, we're talking about his options. He's got these trees here. I says, well, I'll tell you what I'd do. I would just take, a, you know, I'd take about a, I'd take my little hybrid, and I would just kind of slice it right over those trees. I says, or, because you play more of a draw, you could go around and draw it around these trees. And he goes, oh, no, I think I'm going to go under these trees. In between and under, are you kidding me? You're not that good. And, um, and so we're talking, and I said to him, at the, when we're done, I said, isn't it interesting? You, 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 we got one goal here to get the ball from here into that hole, but we've got five ways to do it. Now, that's kind of how the Bible works. It means one thing. But there's five, six, there's so many different ways to apply it. And this is, loved ones, why it's so important why we do this little Bible reading program because the only way that you learn to apply the scriptures is because you take them in and you read them. And that's why even today I'm doing this little kind of answering your questions because the questions were so good but so important Because some of us need to learn how to take the Bible and apply it to our situations. Because when I just preach about forgiving and I give you the information about it, okay, that's good. Whoa, forgive. But how do I forgive this, that, or the other? So the important thing is what I always want you to do on a Sunday, and I work hard at doing it, is that as I give information, I always want to share application because that's what leads to transformation. Easiest thing in the world is to give you a lesson that's filled with information. What's hard is, is to bridge it to application, because once you apply it to your life and begin to do it, that's where transformation or change takes place in your life. And so that's why I think that this becomes an important point, because I can see by the questions, and I understand this thing of forgiveness. I was just saying last week to our Friday morning men, I says, I'm in this situation right now where I'm trying to figure out the application of the truth that I'm in the middle of. So I'm going to press into my Friday morning guys just to help me out because I don't have all the answers. So today, hopefully, this will give you a little bit bigger framework to work out this big issue of forgiveness. So here's the first question. What do you do? And again, remember, some of these questions kind of have a little bit of overlap. Principles will overlap. What do you do when you've gone to someone to reconcile, but they continue to reject you? Well, this is the first principle, Romans 12, 19 through 21. We've talked about it a couple of times. Remember, it says that you have a responsibility to go to the person, make it right, and secondly, give return good for evil, not evil for good, because vengeance belongs to the Lord. That's our responsibility, every one of us, when we get into these forgiveness situations. You have to do your part. And then realize that even when you go to these people, some people will hold things over you. Some people will stand against you and hold it against you. That's all right. You cannot control what they do. You can only control what you do. So what do you do? You pray for them. You go and take care of it humbly. And then you pray for them as you're leaving or through the course of time. And I I can't remember what services gave what questions last week, so... But sometimes you just got to pray for these people. Not in a condescending, I'm going to pray for you, brother or sister. It's just you leave. If they don't want to forgive you or accept your forgiveness, say, okay. 
And you go, Lord, I tried. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it with you. I'm going to leave it with you. And you begin to pray for them. Remember, we are the new creation in Christ. Well, that other person says they're a Christian. Okay, so what? It's about you. You can't control them. You can't, you can't determine how they're going to respond. Remember Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verses 52 through 56. I call this the Jesus model. He goes into this town to share love and forgiveness of his new kingdom. Hi, I'm Jesus, the Messiah. And I want to come to you with a new message of hope and love and grace and power and new life. And in this situation, most of the people rejected. To the degree, that remember the disciples, James and John, the sons of thunder, what did they want to do? They wanted to call down fire. Lord, why don't we just, why don't we just incinerate them? We'll show them. And Jesus turns to them and he goes, he rebukes them. You know why? Because what he's saying is that's not how our kingdom, that's not how my kingdom at this time is going to operate. Oh yeah, there's going to come a day of judgment. But this isn't the time. That's why I want to talk to you about better than brimstone next week. Because this is what Jesus says. He says, no, no, we're not going to do that. They wanted to call down fire when they rejected. But Jesus says, that's all right. We're just going to keep loving We're going to keep preaching the kingdom. So he leaves there, goes to the next town. Hi, I'm Jesus, the Messiah. I got a new message for you. Some receive and some don't. And see, Jesus doesn't get sideways with him. He just keeps going and keeps going. And sometimes with people, we have to be able to do that. That's all right. You can reject me. Jesus loves you and he loves me and I'm going to keep going. And we have to depersonalize some of these things. Because we cannot control how people react toward us. Another question. Last week, I was a wreck during and after service. The question is, how do you maintain forgiving the person you forgive, but they don't stop the crazy stuff that you're trying to forgive? What about when the person is a close relative, a mother, dad, sibling, and I'm dealing with such crazy junk going on, and at, the, and at this point, my other sibling and I were sneaking around our relative just to see each other, without the toxic stuff. I just can't resolve myself with uh, the being forgiving versus dislike for this relative. Well, Scripture doesn't give you an option to dislike or not. Scripture says love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love people. So that's what we do, but we have to do it in God's strength, don't we? You have to decide that you will. Now, here's my question. I'm assuming this is an adult. And when I ask these, I'm not trying to be snippy or whatever. But I, these are the questions, and, and this has come from a lot of life experience. Um, why are you sneaking around? Does that person have that much control over your life? One of the things that I have refused to do, probably, and I've learned this, and I'm Last five, I'm not going to give anybody control over my life to the, except for Jesus. I used to do that. I used to be in this church and anybody didn't like me, I would try and placate them and make them happy and kiss up to them and blah, blah, blah. I don't do that anymore. If you like me, great. If you don't, oh well. And I really mean that. I mean, I don't, I really do care. It hurts me, all that kind of stuff. But I just go, Whatever. And people have to learn to do that, even with family members. 
They can't, you are not going to control me. I am not going to allow myself to be controlled by your actions or your thoughts. So my question is, if that's such an unhealthy environment, why do you got to sneak around? Stand up and just say, I'm going to go see this relative. I don't have to ask you or be accountable to you for that. See, sometimes we think as Christians that we've got to be so sweet and so nice. No, we've got to be kind. And we get this whole idea of niceness and kindness mixed up. That's the reason sometimes the world thinks we're so soft because we're so nice. Jesus says, the Bible says, I want you to be kind. And see, I can be kind while I'm standing up for myself. This is toxic. I'm sorry. I can't be a part of this. And I'm not going to tiptoe around it anymore. And I'm going to go do what I need to do to function as a good family member. And sometimes that means speaking the truth, but you do what you speak the truth as Jesus did in love. So what you have to do, what I get to do in those situations, I have to go in and be the change agent. That's what Jesus did. He went into all of these situations and he basically said, hi, I'm Jesus, I love you. And if they rejected him, he would leave. If they loved him and he left, they would follow. They didn't change him, he would change them or he would just keep moving on. And sometimes we have to be able to do that. I don't have to go to somebody's house for Christmas or Thanksgiving because they're my family. If, they're, if I'm going to go there and they're going to get tanked or sloshed and start talking trash or badly about me and bringing up my past or, you know, attacking me, I don't need to go into that situation. And I don't need to sneak around to my other family member and say, I'm not going to go, are you? No. You just stand up and say, you know, I'm not going to go this year. And then privately, if that person that does that to you ever says it, you say, you know something? You've kind of just verbally abused me one too many times. And, I, and I'm not going to put myself in that situation anymore. See, that's who we are in Christ. We don't have to be abused or, or we don't have to put up with that. But, you don't, but make sure you don't do it arrogantly because the scripture says in Galatians 6 that you do it humbly. Does that make sense? I won't unpack Galatians because I have a lot more to say about that, but I ran out of time last service too. Okay, are there any unforgivable sins? No. Well, there's one unforgivable sin. All sin is forgivable. See, Jesus is the Lord and Savior. See, we, we, we like to categorize sins, you know what I mean? Like, you know, one decade it was divorce, one decade it was drugs, one decade it's alcohol, one decade it's homosexual. Who knows what's going to be the next, next decade of, that's going to be the biggie that we just, oh my gosh. We, we kind of have these trends and we kind of get our sin of the decade flavor. And, and that's the big bad one. Um, and they're all bad, they're all sin. But see, God doesn't really categorize them that way. He forgives any of those sins. Here's the one that doesn't get forgiven. And Mark is stating this in Mark chapter 3, verse 28. He says, I assure you people will be forgiven all sins and whatever blasphemies they may blasphemy, but, big but, but how whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of eternal sin. So sin is sin to God. 
It's been judged on the cross. I hope we've made that clear through this whole series. There will be a judgment day for those who reject and do not receive Jesus and the free gift of salvation. What, what Mark is saying here, or what Jesus is saying, and Mark is writing it, is the one sin that can't be forgiven is the one who rejects the forgiver of all, Jesus. And he's saying here there's this, uh, there's this drawing of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8, Jesus says, And there's one who will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness. In theology, we have this thing called provenient grace. It's, it's that, God, that the Holy Spirit goes before us, and he's working in all of our lives. And, and some of you remember this, and I've told this before, but when I, when I become a Christ follower, I, uh, I was sitting in this important first church of the open Bible, and with my friend Russ, and we'd sit there Sunday after Sunday. The guy, pastor, would preach, and, and I'd be convicted because I was a sinner. I was 16, 17. And my friend Russ, and he'd go, God, Terry, let's go up there. Let's go up there. No, 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 no. My heart's pounding because I know I need to. You know what I kept doing? I kept rejecting the Holy Spirit who was drawing me to come to Jesus. Now, there was a time where I finally I, I submitted to that. Because it just got such a place in my life where I couldn't say no any longer. I could. And people do. And see, that's really what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Is you're speaking, you're pushing against the very thing that is drawing you to the one who can save you. And there are people that do that year after year. They've convinced themselves that that's not right. That's the one sin that can't be forgiven when you reject the one that draws you to the forgiver. Okay? Every other sin can be forgiven. I'm going to have a prayer time after service here for people that need prayer for either being forgiven or to forgive somebody. And I just had a precious, precious friend come up afterwards and just said, I just got to know I'm forgiven. I struggle with my past. See, as long as you can do that, you're, you're forgiven. And you just have to receive it. How do, you, how do you know when you have forgiven someone? Well, I said it last week, and this is true. It's when you choose to forgive sincerely, starting in your mind and in your heart. That's where it starts. Hear me, loved ones. It's not a feeling first and foremost. Most of the time, get this, you know this, your feelings follow your decisions, not the other way around. But most too many people, they live at the level of their feelings. So they allow their feelings to dictate their life and their emotions. And that's why people's lives are so messed up and why they're so up and down. Because they've allowed their soul and their emotions to dictate how they live their life. The psalmist David said this, I will, I will praise thee, O Lord, with heart of thanksgiving. I will give praise to the King of kings. See, he says, I will. How many of you get up in the morning sometimes and you say, I don't want to go to work? Yeah. Every other day? Okay, well, what do you do? You will yourself to go. And it's the same way with this forgiveness thing. How do you know? It starts with the decision. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 talks about do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but renew your thinking to think like God. And so when you've been hurt deeply, when you have been pressed upon in a bad way, you have to go, I am not going to think like the world. I am not going to allow my thoughts about forgiveness to conform to the general world that says get a pound of flesh, exact something from them, make them pay for the pain. No, I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to make a choice today. I 
am going to forgive. Because then at the end of that chapter, that's where it talks about. It's no longer your thing. It's God's. You don't take vengeance. They do. You go take care of it. It's your responsibility to do everything you can to live at peace with them. Period. And then you leave it with God. But it has to start with a decision. And see, when you do that, then I get, I, there's two things you're always going to hear today. Choose and pray. Choose and pray. Choose to do it and then pray to God to give you the wherewithal and the strength to be able to do it. Because when you begin to pray for that other person, guess what? They may never change. But one of the powerful points of prayer is simply this. You'll change. I could tell you two or three stories, big stories in my life. I've told them before. When I began, I had to pray for these people to forgive them. And over the time, a year, seven years, I was able to forgive them. It's a journey that you have to take. But it's not based on feelings. How do you forgive people that have died and hurt you and have a hard time forgiving, and now you can't go to them? I've come up with this a number of times. It's usually someone who's been abused physically, um, emotionally, spiritually. Again, all decision, all forgiveness starts with the decision to send it away, to bury it. In counseling, when I deal with this, uh, which I've always dealt with it there, when, when, when people have been abused in some way, they want to they deal with the abuser. And so I give them something very tangible to do. Because to sit there and say, just forgive them. Okay, that's the information. Can you help me out? Okay, let me give you just a real practical thing to do. Write them a letter. And you can do this with somebody that's living that's maybe across the country. Or maybe you just know if you talk to them, it's going to become volatile and they will not respond. You can do this there as well. I say, do this. Write a letter. Dear so-and-so. 27 years ago, you abused me in this way. It hurt me deeply then, and I've carried this for years, and unfortunately, I've buried it. And this is what it's done to my life. This is the effects that I see now. You're not a victim. You're just stating the facts. And that's a big key thing, that you don't allow yourself to be a victim. But you begin to tell it, and you tell your story, and you say why this upsets you. Get through it. Get every emotion out on that paper that you can. And then at the very end, you write a prayer. Your closing statement is simply this, because God has forgiven me in Christ Jesus, the great debt that I have. I have to do that for you. And today I choose, and I will do it. And then you write your first prayer of forgiveness. Lord Jesus, the pain is deep. The hurt is great, but not as great as I did to you. So now in your power, I choose today to forgive this person. And you seal that letter up or you put it in an envelope. And I tell people, you know what? Sometimes it takes time. So maybe you need to revisit that letter for a week, a month, a year. Put it in your top drawer. Get it out. Pray over it. And then there's going to come a time when you're going to be able to do something that's really important. And I say this, when you can do it, take that letter and go outside in the corner of your yard or someplace, somewhere, make a little hole and bury it. Bury it. And then make this little nondescript cross. Put the cross over it. And that will remind you of this. 
that even as Jesus, or as God said, the psalmist said in Psalm 103, that is that your sins have been buried in the deepest of the seas. You are burying the sins of the person that has abused or hurt you. And they're buried now at the cross, even as your sins are. See, it's a practical thing to do when there's no practical place to go. Don't let anyone take up residence and live in your mind or your life rent-free. Too many of us do that, especially if they're deceased. But in any way, don't let people live in your mind rent-free. Article by the great pastor David Jeremiah and he wrote this in a devotional. He said, according to a, uh, a report in New York Magazine, scientists have been studying the patterns of forgiveness um, and reconciliation in the animal kingdom. It goes on to say, most of the research involved gorillas and chimps, and they often would fight each other, but later they would come back to embrace and continue their companionship. Now, similar behavior characteristics were found in goats and hyenas. Well, the research found only one species of animal that doesn't seem to ever forgive. Domestic cats. <laughs> now you know my issue with cats. No letters, please. If a, I still have one from the last time I talked about cats. If a, if a cat lover, you may not agree with the research, but you can acknowledge this, uh, that we as humans really have the same issue. We're all sinners in needs of God's grace and his bountiful forgiveness. And when we truly received and experienced forgiveness that has been gained by the blood of Christ, we can travel this path to forgive others. See, isn't it true all people do stupid things? Don't you, don't I? We all do. Proverbs 12, 16 says this, that fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. And if you're upset with someone or if past injustices have left you with great bitterness, never forget what Jesus did for you. And that becomes the pathway to grace and forgiveness of other people. And that's why I say do something tangible. Maybe there'll come a time where you're going to bury that letter. I love what Ruth Bell Graham once said, every cat knows that some things need to be buried. And sometimes we do. We just need to bury it, get rid of it as an expression of putting it before the cross. How do you forgive people to keep hurting you or your family? Continually forgive, read, repeat offenders of pain. Okay, here again, here's the question that's similar to before. To before. How are they able to keep doing the same pain-giving actions to you? And I say this lovingly, not, you know, but why, why would we put ourselves in a position where we continually allow people to, to, to um, cause trauma to our soul? At some point, we have to, again, learn boundaries, healthy boundaries that say, I, I can't allow you to do this anymore. Sometimes it's stated, and sometimes it's just done in a way that, you know, hey, can you come over to this party or can you come over for this? Oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm busy. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I refuse to put myself in positions now um, when I know that that's a probability of being attacked. But from people that have, have done that before. It just isn't worth it anymore. 
You know, if I do something wrong and someone's got to come talk to me, I'll own it. I'll say I'm sorry. But I'm t- we're talking, of course, about people that just continually inflict pain on us. Why put yourself in that? When there's this constant turmoil, quarreling or whatever it is, here's the principle, uh, Genesis 13, 1 through 9. Remember Abraham, the father of our faith. God says in the, uh, Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be the father of many nations. Well, he's got this cousin named Lot. And so by chapter 13, they're rich. They have all of these herds, all these herdsmen, and all of this, this land. And all of a sudden, Abraham notices over time that, man, these guys are fighting. The herdsmen are fighting, and probably Abraham and Lot are fighting. And so finally, he goes to Lot. And he says, listen, dude, everybody's fighting. We've got to stop this. So this is what he says. He goes, what I want you to do, Lot, is we can't have this kind of quarreling and fighting and strife among our people. So what I want you to do is I want you to go look all the way around, north, east, west, south, and you pick the land that you want. So what does Lot do? He looks around, you know, and he takes the best. And Abraham goes, okay, good. So Abraham goes, you go over there, and I'm going to go over here so we don't have any more fighting and quarreling and strife. Interesting thing is, is Lot takes the best and gets into trouble. Abraham takes the least of the stuff, and God blesses him. God will always bless you. Here's two principles. God will always bless you when you give up so that he can bless you in a better way. And here's the second thing. Relationships are always more important than real estate. Be willing to say, this is what's important. And so he was willing to say, Lot, I want to keep our relationship, but we got to do it with margins and space. And sometimes that's what we have to do with people that hurt us. To preserve the relationship, we may have to give up something or we may have to just spread apart. Now hear me, look at me. In case you checked out, some of you are going, could be going. Well, none of you would do this, I know. But just in case. Oh, Good. I've wanted to get rid of this spouse for a long time. Now I got some, now I got a mammal. I'm going to margin this thing really quick starting Tuesday, you know? I am not talking about marriage. That's a whole different ballgame. That's a covenant relationship. But I'm talking about other relationships. Don't let people just hurt you, abuse you, take advantage of you. Stand up humbly, graciously. How do we stay positive about a job when a manager constantly tells his employees we're all lazy and can't do any good and we've been there 25 to 30 years and really we're making our numbers, it brings us all down. Okay, I'm a boss, so I'm going to be talking from that perspective, okay? And I'm not an easy boss. I expect a lot. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, Colossians 3, 1 through 25 talks about how we're to live in a counterculture, Okay? And if you read through that, it culminates, both of those culminate with the uh, employee-employer-slave, slave-owner relationship. They use that terminology. And Paul always says, he challenges the slave, I mean the, the owners to, to you treat, you treat them with respect, and he challenges the slaves to honor them because of their position. Again, the Bible tells us we can't control others, only ourselves living in the power of God's Spirit. And when you read these two passages, it really focuses on relational issues. That when you're living for Christ, you can live differently. 
first thing is you're thankful for your job. Second thing is that I've learned over the years, remember that God peoples you. That's how he shapes your character. Now hear me, I know there are jerk bosses, jerk people, jerk whatever. So let's just kind of, I understand that, so don't say, well, you don't know. I do know. I worked for some jerks. When I worked at a place called Thriftway Grocery Store, my first quote, real full-time job, I had a guy, his name was Dane, and, and started off with a good relationship, but man, the guy just used to ride me like a horse. And just finally I said, that's it, I'm not putting up with it anymore. I told him to dismount and I left. And, uh, and, and, and I did, and it was the way it worked. And then, and I was all of, I think I was 17. And, um, and, and I just said, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. So then I finally get, to, I go to this other Crown Zellerback where my dad worked, got me a job there. Wouldn't you know it, Fred Funk. <laughs> he is Dane all over, Dane all over again. And I go, this is crazy. And it's part of the reason I hate working at the mill, making tons of bucks. And I said, I'm going to go back to school. I ain't working here anymore. And then I go to my first church where I'm a youth pastor. Guess who's there? It's a combination of Dana and Fred. And he's a drill sergeant named Grant. And, and I had to work through all these. And you know what happened? I worked through it. And, and that's a whole other story how I did it. But uh, I had to stand up for myself because he was kind of a bully. And um, all three of these guys were big bullies. And, and, and finally, I stood up to him. But God said, this is what's happening with you. I am peopling you because I am preparing you for what I've prepared for you. And if you don't learn to get along with this personality, you will remove yourself from 30% of the people that could ever come to your church. Now that personality that has been at Creekside that a lot of Creeksiders don't get along with, I get along with them great now. Because I had to learn that if I don't get along with them, if I don't allow God to shape me to be able to work with them, I won't be able to, I'll take 30% of the population. That's why I hope you never know if I'm a Democrat or Republican. Because if I say I'm a Republican, then I'm going to lose 50% of the church over Democrats and they'll hear everything I say through a Republican grid. Or if I tell you I'm a Democrat, then the Republicans will go, oh, that's a Democratic thought. So if you don't know, I don't try and play to any party even though I'm committed to the whole system. Does that make sense? Um, If you have trouble at work... Read the story of Joseph, Genesis 39 to 50. He was mistreated, forgotten, lied about, imprisoned wrongly, sold out, betrayed by his brothers. And at the end of decades, he's in prison. He's lifted out. He's forgotten. He's kicked about. At the end of his life, this is the statement that he makes. I love this. You want to talk about a statement of forgiveness. He says, what you meant to harm me, God meant 